Okay, you know, life has changed so much in America over the last year. But you know what? Praise God, we're still standing. Amen? We are still standing after all this time. We're still here. You know, I, I talk to students all the time, and the students at U of H are all youngsters. I mean, they were born post 9-11. So I talk to them, and they say, Mr. Stidham, and I say, yes. What was it like when the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor? And I said, I don't know. I was over in Saudi at the time working, so I didn't know. I just, 1940, 40, 40, really? So, so anyways, they asked me what it was like. I said, I don't know. But I said, I remember 9-11. And they said, oh, we don't remember that. We weren't born yet. You see, I remember how the world changed at 9-11. You remember how it changed? Remember how people's attitudes changed? How people's outlook on the world changed? Same thing happened when the coronavirus came along. We are living in a post-coronavirus world. A world where masks are becoming normal and natural in the workplace. A, a place where people are a little more fearful, a little more timid. You know, I, I see pictures constantly of grandparents who've not hugged their children in a year or tugged their grandchildren in a year. And it amazes me how all of that can distort your picture of the world. Somebody asked me, Mr. Stenham, do you think, do you think the world will ever be normal again? And I said, no. There's no way the world can be normal again. The world changed December 7th, 1941, when the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor. The world changed forever, 9-11, and the towers came down. The world changed forever when they shut down the world because of coronavirus. But long before any of that, way before any of that happened, something happened in a little country called Israel. Something happened 2,000 years ago that forever changed the face of the world. We don't think about it because we live in a world where that is just such a normal, natural thing. We go through Christmas. We go through Easter. We go through so many of these religious holidays. But do we ever stop and think how they changed the world? Today, I want to talk about living in a post-resurrection world. Living in a post-resurrection world. Not the world that existed when Jesus was born. Not the world that Jesus walked in as a, as a teacher, as, as a rabbi. I want to talk about the world that happened after he was resurrected. We are in the book of Luke today, chapter 24. Luke 24. I want to talk about this. There are three unique implications to the world after the resurrection. Three implications that will change how you live, how you talk, how you walk, how you observe things around you. You see, going through the coronavirus, there were really three ways kind of to deal with the world, and they come right here from this section of Scripture. The first thing I want you to see is this. Luke 24, beginning of verse 1, after the resurrection, some people were ready to believe. They were ready to believe the promise that Jesus made. And when it happened, they were ready for it. Luke 24, 1 on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb bringing the spices they had prepared. Remember, the women had seen Jesus taken off. They had seen his body placed in the tomb. They had not seen what Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had done to prepare his body. They, in their minds, believed, oh no, it is so close to the Sabbath. These two men will not be able to do for my master what needs to be done. You see, in those days, like these days, women know that most of the time men are incompetent. Can I get an amen from all the women in the congregation? There you go. At least we have an honest, an honest voice. 
Okay, so back in the day, they, oh, these two guys, they're just going to move Jesus' body. They're not going to take care of it the way that we can. They're not going to do everything. But they didn't know that they had already brought the spices, already brought the wrappings. So they get there ready to do what's necessary for Jesus. They found the stone rolled away. That's why the stone is rolled away up here today. It was rolled away from the tomb. They went in but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothing. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. What? Why are you looking for the living among the dead, they asked. He is not here, but he has been resurrected. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day. Now here's the thing about Jesus. He didn't want to surprise anybody. He didn't want the disciples to be surprised. The entire Old Testament, especially the book of Isaiah, the entire Old Testament tells us what will happen when the Messiah comes. It will tell us what the Messiah does. It tells us how he will act. It tells us how he will die and how he will come back. Jesus wasn't looking to surprise anybody. If they had read the Bible, they would have known already what had to happen. So Jesus tells them, hey, I'm going to be betrayed. I am going to be killed. I am going to come back. Remember, he tells them that you seek a sign, but you're not going to get any sign other than the sign of the prophet Jonah, who was dead three days in the belly of the whale and then was vomited back onto the earth, alive well to do the will of God. So he gave them exactly what was going to happen to him. They should not have been shocked, but they were caught up. And they remembered his words. Returning from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women were with them, telling the apostles these things. So the women are saying, hey, this is what we've seen. We always focus on Mary Magdalene at the tomb because she encounters Jesus. Maybe she lingered a moment later. Maybe she stayed a moment after the women had run back. She encounters Jesus in a very personal, intimate, one-on-one type of experience. But all the women saw the empty tomb. But these words seemed like nonsense to the men, and they did not believe the women. They thought the women were hysterical. They thought the women were beside themselves with grief. They thought, oh, something has happened, but the women are just imagining all this. See, I learned a long time ago, if my wife tells me something, I listen. I listen. Because a lot of times, she perceives things I don't perceive. See, I'm very gullible. I'm very easy to fool. That's why God gave me a wife of incredible intelligence and wisdom and perception to keep me out of trouble. Can I get an amen if you've got a wife like that? Thank you very much. Okay, so here's the thing. These women saw it. They told the men. The men didn't believe them. Guess what, people? You're going to tell people about Jesus today in 2021. You're going to tell them about this resurrected Savior. They are not going to believe you, man or woman. Why? Because people only trust what they see with their eyes or touch with their hands. They're all from Missouri. Show me state. Oh, really? Jesus rose? Well, show me. Kind of hard to do. He's in heaven with the Father right now. And if you try doing evangelism in Missouri, it's really rough because they want to see everything. But here's the thing. People are like that. They want proof. They want to walk by sight, not by faith. And that's a tough thing. But now notice this. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. When he stopped to look in, he saw only the linen clothes, so he went home amazed at what had happened. 
There are those people that you will encounter in your life who are ready to hear about Jesus. You may have to tell 10, 20, 50, 100 people about Jesus before the one person that God has prepared is ready to hear it. Don't ever be disappointed. I've known missionaries who've gone to foreign countries, Saudi Arabia, China. I mean, inside China, not outside China. Way deep China. And there, you don't count how many people come to Jesus. You count how long you're there. It could be five years, eight years, 10 years. Would you work 10 years of your life? Give up blood, sweat, tears for 10 years just to see one soul saved because of your diligence. I hope so, because in some places, that's what it takes. Would you give up 10 years of your life working, slaving, praying, preparing just so that one soul can come to Jesus? I hope so, because sometimes that's what it takes. So you see, Peter, however, unlike the others, he believed that something happened. He was ready to receive it because he had told Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. But when you come back to me, you're going to strengthen all the others. That's what Peter knew. Has God ever told you that your job is to strengthen others, to build each other's up, to take care of other people? I hope he has. Because in some ways, that's part of what being a family is. It's about ministering to other people. Now, there's peoples in every church today. There's all kinds of people in church who haven't set foot in church in a year or two years. Maybe it's been two years since they've been to church because of the COVID. But there's people there today, and they said they're expecting more people in church today than have been in church in years in America. Because it's the first time they've had to come. First time they've come. Hopefully, God has prepared their hearts so when they come, they will respond. But you know what? That's God's work, not our work. Our work is to prepare our testimony. The women gave their testimony. God acted in Peter's heart, and Peter took off like a rocket. We also know that John went with them. We know that from another scripture. Consider this, Hebrews 2, 14 through 15. Since therefore the children share in the flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of some of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who had the power of death, that is, the devil, Satan himself, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Show me someone in America today who doesn't fear death. Show me someone in America today who doesn't fear disease. Show me someone in America today who doesn't fear guns, lunatics on motorcycles, lunatics in cars, the two 13-year-olds who stole a truck, killed someone, and then bailed out and ran away in downtown Houston. You see, children don't understand the value of life because they've never seen it taken before. God became a man and suffered everything that we suffer, heat, cold, exhaustion, hunger, thirst. He went through it all so that he could fully identify with us. And in dying, he went through the ultimate identification with us. He did this to destroy the power of Satan. You know, if anything, that Easter should be called the Christian Liberation Day. It's the day that sets us free from the power of Satan forever. Satan is defeated at that cross and doubly defeated when Jesus comes from the grave. Amen? You see the power of Easter? The power of Easter is greater than Christmas. The power of Easter is the greatest time of the year because it is the ultimate breaking of the power of Satan. And when we are ready, we can see what God is doing. I warn you, my friends, seek God to show you what's going on 
But be careful. Once you see it, you can't forget it. You can't forget what God's doing when he shows it to you. Peter was ready. The Lord called him. He went. Now let's move on. So after the resurrection, some people were ready to believe the promise. God had prepared them. But also, too, Luke 24, 13. After the resurrection, some people were still confused. They were still confused. They had thought something, and then that something was taken away. And now here's something else. But even though they were confused, they were still seeking. I would rather deal with a confused person than a hardened atheist. You see, a confused person is looking for clarity of thought, clarity of mind. The atheist is looking for some way to defend himself against the truth, and that's always a bad position to be in. Because when you face Jesus, you're always going to lose. Luke 24, 13. Now the same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. You ever try walking in the desert going seven miles? Yeah, it takes a long time to get seven miles, and when you get there, you're pretty darn tired. It says this, together they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. So they're walking on the road. They're hammering at each other. They're going at it. This happened. That happened. I saw this. You saw that. Suddenly there's somebody standing here. But who is it? It says this, but they were prevented from recognizing him. Be careful, my friends. The word of God says, Always be willing to entertain others as if an angel unknowns to you might walk among you. God may send someone into your life to shape or change the direction of your life. Be ready, be willing, be able to listen to those who step into you and show you what God is doing. Sometimes we're confused. We are conflicted. We have plans for our life. We have graduates here. You know, Nicole just graduated. We have all these graduates, and now their whole life is laid before them. But what do they do with it? I always ask the question, are you willing for God to change the direction of your life if he so chooses? Does God have your permission to change the direction? of These guys are going to Emmaus. They're talking about what they think they know, but God's about to find out what they really, really want to know. Then he asked them, what is this dispute that you are having with each other as you are walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. The one named Clopas answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened these in these days? What things, he asked them. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus, the Nazarene, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people. Underline that. In your Bible. And I'll tell you why. You want to describe Jesus? Right there it is. The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people. They are identifying exactly who Jesus was. The exactly the Jesus they knew. Now you know why they're confused. All of these terrible things happened, even though he was exactly what they were expecting. He was the Messiah they were looking for. And how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Now remember, 
The Jews of the first century believed that the Messiah, the Redeemer, would be a military leader. He would be a general. He would be powerful. He would summon an army that was unstoppable. He would drive out the Romans. He would restore the kingdom of Solomon. They believed that the Messiah was going to be an earthly, political, military leader. Now, they didn't get that from the Bible at all. They got that from what they had been taught as children growing up in Israel. They were taught to look for one kind of Messiah, but that was not the Messiah they were fighting. See, we were hoping he was going to be this great general. Besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. Ah, third day. Where did we just read that? Not the band, I heard that. Not the band third day, but the actual third day. Go back to verse 7. Go back to verse 7. The Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day. They already knew the third day was significant. This was the third day. But these guys were not catching on that something was about to happen in their life. Moreover, some women from our group astonished us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with his with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. Okay, that's Peter and John. They went there. So the women said this. Two of our people went, and they found it exactly. So they're confused. Now, wait a minute. We have Jesus, and he's what we think the Messiah is going to be. And then he's crucified, and he dies, and we put him in the grave, and we mourn, and we weep. Now he's alive. I'm confused. Have you ever met people who are confused about who Jesus is? Have you ever been confused about who Jesus is? Because I will tell you something. All the nonsense you see on TV, all of, the, all of this mashuga stuff, sorry, this Yiddish, for all you who are not Jewish. Okay, so all this mashugah, this craziness that you see on the History Channel. Oh, Jesus was just this. So he fainted. They took his body out. He, he was living in Rome with three women. Um, anyways, you have all this insanity that doesn't make any sense because none of it is biblically based. None of it. So people are confused because they're listening to people who don't know anything about the Word of God. My favorite things for someone to say to me are, oh, it seems to me, or I feel like, or don't you think God would? No, I don't have to think. I'm a married man. I don't think. I just obey. That's what I do. Can I get an amen from somebody? Yeah, I can. None of y'all, huh? Okay, here's the thing. God's word says it. <clears throat> that settles it. End of discussion. If God says this, I don't have to think about it. It simply is true. And there's no other discussion about it. That's how it is. We move on from there. Amen? All right. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. The women went. Our people went, and it was exactly what they said. So here you go. This vision, this, this visiting the tomb, it was a call to all people. Acts 2, 38-41. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Stop right there. People stop sharing Jesus because they don't see any results. Oh, I stopped witnessing to my brother-in-law. Oh, I stopped witnessing to my sister. I stopped witnessing to my friend because it wasn't doing any good. It's not your job 
for it to do any good. This says we bear the testimony just like the women. People either believe you or they don't believe you. But it is God who calls. It is God who calls us, who quickens our eyes, who quickens our hearts, shows us what's going on. You never give up on sharing Christ with anyone until they are in a box six feet down. I've had people in my life that I have loved, people who have raised me, people who rejected Christ until the day of their death, and I never stopped trying to show them Jesus. You've been there. I know you have. You have those people in your life. Those people that I have loved who have died without Christ, I know their eternal fate. It does not make me happy. It does not please me. I can't change the reality of the world because that is the reality of the world. Easter is a call to every believer to stand up like Peter and say, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. Repent of everything that you were, everything you thought you had, everything you thought you had going for you, and repent and be converted to Christ. Now that means he's going to change you. He's going to change you from what you were into what he wants you to be. He's going to take you the direction you need to go. He's going to make you into someone that you never thought you'd be. Some of the greatest preachers of the last century were sports figures. Billy Sunday, uh, an athlete, uh, a sportsman, became a fantastic preacher. Because even though he was not eloquent, even though he was not schooled, he wasn't proper, he laid the gospel out like a baseball bat to a baseball and just hammered away with the truth. He just told them the truth and he let God do the rest. Can you do that? Can you tell people the truth and let God do the rest? I have never saved anybody. I have participated in the birthing of a lot of babies into the kingdom of God. But I'm nothing more than a midwife. I just stand there, psh, the baby pops out, I'm good. My job then is to raise that child. School that child, teach that child. But I never saved anybody. That's not my gig. My gig is to preach the gospel. Let the Holy Spirit deliver the, deliver the children. Amen. So he says this. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation, from those who received his, so that those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Can you imagine being in the first century, being Peter, who had denied Jesus, and then standing there and see 3,000 people born into the kingdom? Was it Peter's eloquence? No. Was it Peter's passion? No. Was it his particular education or his unique use of language? No. It was the power of God set loose in the testimony of a changed person. That's the power. That's all I've ever had. You know, they may have thrown me out of the third grade, but they couldn't preach me. They couldn't stop me from preaching Jesus. Amen. That's just how that goes. Here it is. Keep going. So after the resurrection, some people were ready to believe. Peter, like a, like a shot, went right to the tomb. Others were confused, but they were still seeking the truth. They were still trying to reason out who was Jesus? What did he really do? And so Jesus is listening and he's, he's getting ready. So the last, one, the last one, I want you to see this. After the resurrection, all people needed to have their eyes opened. 
Everyone needed to have their eyes open. Luke 24, 25. He said to them, how unwise and slow you are to believe in your hearts all that the prophets have spoken. Didn't the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter into glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in the scripture. They came near the village where they were going. He gave them the impression that he was going farther. But they urged him, stay with us, because it's almost evening, and now the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. It was as he reclined at the table with them, he took bread, he blessed, blessed, it, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. We are going to celebrate the Lord's Supper today. We don't get to do this often in this post-COVID generation, but we're going to do it. You see, in breaking the bread... Jesus showed who he truly was, that he was that high priest, the body broken for them, the blood that was shed for them. In that moment, they recognized who he was, not just who he was as Messiah, but that this was actually Jesus with them. They had heard he was risen. Now they have seen him risen. But he disappeared from their sight. So they said to each other, weren't our hearts ablaze within us while we were talking while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us. That very hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem. Remember, they're seven miles away at least. This is going to be a long walk back to Jerusalem, maybe a, a quick run. They found the eleven and those with them gathered together, who said, the Lord has certainly been raised and has appeared to Simon. That's what the disciples said. Then they began to describe what had happened on the road and how he had made known to them in the breaking of the bread, how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. So you see, they added their testimony to the testimony of Peter and the testimony of the women. So now that testimony begins to grow. How can that help us? I will show you. 2 Kings 6, 15 through 17. 2 Kings 6, 15 through 17. When the servant of the man of God rose up early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. Remember, he had been informing on the enemies of Israel what their, what their movements would be. And the king was not happy that the prophet of God was giving away his battle tactics. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And you know, Elisha's servant is looking around going, uh, boss, there's you and me and a whole bunch of chariots out there with horsemen. Then Elisha prayed and said, oh, Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So Yahweh opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Do you have any idea how great a company of angels surround you? Do you have any idea? How many of God's servants unseen walk beside you? How many servants of God unseen sit beside you, protect you, take care of you? When my wife and I lived in Montana, we lived in the midst of a dozen covens of witches. You ever be a pastor in the midst of a dozen covens of witches and you're just going to wish you weren't. It's just not the place where you want to be. And we had things show up at our house. I don't mean people. I mean things show up at the house. And we had things happen to us, and there was no physical way to fight those things. Ask my wife about what showed up at the church one day. That was interesting. But here's the thing. I began to pray, Lord, 
put your servants around this house. Put them at the doors and the windows. Seal this place by your Holy Spirit so that none of them may enter. And we stopped having some trouble. We stopped having some trouble. My thing is this. God does things for us that we don't see. God puts his servants around us. He protects us. When you go out of that house, you think it's going to be your skill that takes you down the road and through all that stuff in Houston that brings you back alive. No, that's the Lord. He's got angels running blockers for you. Just like in football, you don't take out the quarterback, but the quarterback's got a lot of guys around him to take care of him, amen? God values you. And he will put his servants around you to protect you as you serve him. And I will tell you, you have no idea what a force of angels are gathered around this church and its people. You just don't know. But here's the thing. You want someone to come to Jesus? Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. Only God can reveal himself to the lost and dying. Here's the thing. Until Jesus revealed himself, even the servants on the road to Emmaus didn't know who he was. They knew Jesus. They knew what he looked like. They knew how he talked. And their hearts were burning because they knew something was, was up. But Jesus hid his countenance from them. Only when God reveals himself can we see him in all that power, all that glory, all that majesty. God is ready to show you who he is. He is ready to take you on the road to Emmaus. Open your eyes so that you can see exactly what he would do with you. Exactly the testimony he would make of you. I caution you. Be careful when you give yourself to God as a servant. You don't know where that road's going to go. So here's the thing. I, I challenge you. COVID is passing into the distance. The world has changed. It will never be what it was. We shouldn't be the same either. We should be serious about letting the God of heaven show himself to us, reveal his will to us, become those servants who are willing to put everything else aside to be exactly what and where God wants us to be. Because that is the only safe place in the middle of a hurricane. Y'all have seen hurricanes. Y'all have lived through hurricanes. Where's the safest place in a hurricane? In the eye. Stay in the eye, it doesn't get you. Get near that eye wall, you're going to get messed up. Life is a twisting hurricane that will shred your life if you don't stay in the eye where Jesus is. That's the only safety for the Christian. Amen?